Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Thank you for joining us once again on our podcast. We are happy to be producing a lot of good content for you. TJ and I have uh, gone and done a tour of a pregnancy crisis center over in Owasso. We should be putting that on our Facebook and YouTube channels tomorrow. I'd urge you to go over and check that out. It's really good to know about the services that they render for the good of women and children in need. Today's podcast is the content from my sermon this last Sunday, and I've been preaching expositionally on books in the New Testament. We're on our second book and the second chapter of Romans, and so it picks up where we left off last week with condemning those who participate in sexual immorality, and uh, it spreads out from there. So I hope you enjoy it and that it's edifying to you. Have fun. I want to give Jeff credit. He called me a couple days ago. He said, after worship a couple weeks ago, you said we'd be reading James and that we should read it beforehand. So I took it to work and I read it and I came home and I read it and you didn't preach on James. I said, brother, I'm so sorry, but I was so happy with him. I told y'all, I'm just used to y'all not doing what I asked. I'm sorry, but um, I I should have let everybody know I was going to zig when we agreed to zag. So I'm sorry to you if you read, except I'm not really sorry. And this is what I told Jeff. I was like, it wasn't bad for you to read James. And he's like, no, I'm glad I did. So um, anyway, but I, I know it gets frustrating when you think we're going one way and I changed my mind. So sorry I'm like that sometimes. All right. Um, the setup for this week, I, I can't review all the setup from last week. I, I just don't think our time is well spent that way. But things that are worth remembering are this is a church that Paul did not plant. It's in the heart of the Roman Empire in Rome where it, they are not being received well by the culture around them, and Paul is preaching against the culture around them. And he's taking turns insulting the Gentiles that are a part of the church and then insulting the Jews. So last week he insulted the Gentiles a bit. He talked about normal uh, cultural practices that they participated in, especially sexually, and he said these are evidence of your depravity and damnation. So this week he is going to hit on the Jews. The Jews who understand themselves to be God's chosen people, and they're not wrong in understanding themselves that way. The Old Testament says that several times. They're God's chosen people. However, how special does that make them? Does God let them get away with things that Gentiles can't get away with? Does God show favoritism or partiality towards them? These are questions that Paul is going to be addressing today. The other question that we're going to be addressing, and some people read this before you came to worship today and you talked to me. Uh, This doesn't fit with a lot of what you preach, Jeffrey. It's saying that people can please God apart from Jesus, that people can obey God's law without reading God's law. So we're going to talk through that a bit, and we're going to end on circumcision. So there's a lot that we're going to cover, and it may feel nerdy a little bit, but it has everything to do with how we live our lives today. I'm going to try and weave it back to chapter 1 some, and then there are 16 chapters where this is all integrated and connected. So this is going to require us to use our brains, okay? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's what we've been told to do. We're going to use our minds and our hearts and our strength today. 
All right, so let's go ahead and dive in, and then we'll just weave in and out. Chapter 2, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. This right here is going to give us whiplash. Okay, at the end of the first chapter, he was condemning people who misbehave sexually, right? Who engage in pornea, particularly same-sex sexual acts. He was really just laying into them, and, and then it can't turn into this whole list of sins. And he said, you, uh, this is evidence of your idolatry and your sin, and if you continue to partake, partake in these, you're not welcome in the kingdom. That's par for the course. But then chapter 2, all of a sudden, slingshot, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. Well, weren't you just judging Paul? Paul was just judging. He was. So what's the deal here? You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Ah. This is what is called a contingent clause. The first part is affected by the second part. What's wrong is not judging. What's wrong is judging when you yourself are guilty of the same stuff. So do you know anybody who complains? And then they say, oh, I don't like hanging out with so-and-so. She's just complaining all the time. Hypocrite. Or gossips. Oh, can you believe so? She's gossiping all the time. Well, you're kind of gossiping about her. You kind of gossip. Oh, that guy at the gym, he's, uh, he's so vain. He's always flexing in the mirror. Well, you are too. I seen you last week, buddy. We can, we can name all kinds of hypocrisy. Let's, let's think about that with respect to what came before. How many people look at gay people and go, oh, those awful sinners, and then they have a relative they know and love who's sleeping with a woman out of wedlock? A male. Oh, at least it's not gay. Oh, is that the scriptural thing? At least it's just not gay, so God's a little mad. He's not too mad. Is that how it is? Are some sexual sins worse than others? That's not what you find in the Bible. The Bible is pornea is pornea is pornea. Sexual immorality, you can go sexually immoral in a thousand different ways. And if you are guilty of one, you're no better than someone else who does it. How many Christians look down their nose at gay people and tolerate people sleeping together out of wedlock? Moving in together, shacking up. Sleeping around. How many people have college-aged young men who are sleeping around, sowing their wild oats? Oh, young men will be young men. We've grown so culturally, culturally tolerant of pornea in some settings, and yet we still beat up on some other people who, uh, who just fall unlucky on the other side. This is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, we are all self-interested. We all make room for our own sin, and that's what damns us. I told you I'd offend you after last week, right? But we, we have our special pet sins that we feel like are not so bad, right? Oh, it's really not. How many people wake up every morning, they look in the mirror and go, I'm not so bad. I'm basically a good guy. But when we continue in unrepentant sin, that becomes the thing that damns us. And it's, I said it last week, I'll say it every time I preach on sexuality. Everything that condemns us, there is a lot more outside of sex, but sex is a part of it. We need to sanctify our sex lives, our monetary lives, our business lives, our family lives. Everything needs to be a living testimony about God and his holiness. If there's any part of our lives that we reserve for sin, that part will excuse us from the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is talking about here. There are people within the community of faith, Jews in particular. You're going to find out he's, he's preaching against the Jews here. The Jews are looking at the Gentiles while Paul's letter is being read aloud. Yep, yep, see that gay stuff you're doing? That's not okay. Y'all are going to hell. 
We're God's chosen people. God likes us more. And here Paul is going, no, you guys do weird stuff sexually too. You're, you're being hypocrites here. You are casting judgment at them when you yourself are hypocrites. Now, is this a pleasant thing to hear? No. Who here loves being called a hypocrite? Nobody. But is it good for us? Man, I hate it when Sarah Beth and I are having an argument. And I'm saying, you don't appreciate me. And she goes, I made you dinner just last night, and you didn't say a word of thanks to me. Well, well, you're right. On my good days, I can say that. Other day, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. But that's an immature response. The mature response is, okay, I need to be held to the same standard I'm holding you to. And that's how any healthy relationship works. Otherwise, you're guilty of hypocrisy, right? And that's what Paul is doing here. He's guarding this community. You have different factions within this community that have potential resentments. Things are holding against each other. And he's saying, no, 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 you're right about this resentment you're holding here. But look at yourself. But look at yourself. And you know that's the mature position there. So, all right, I've already preached a lot. Um, that was verse 1. So the problem is not that they're judging. The problem is that they're judging hypocritically, right? Jesus was exactly the same. Do not judge the speck in your neighbor's eye whenever you have a log in your own. Some people look at that and go, oh, we're not supposed to judge. See no evil here. That is not what he says. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's. The whole point of this thing is to judge one another so that we don't have to stand condemned on the day of judgment. That's what we're doing here. We are allowing ourselves to be judged by God, by one another, so that we can walk sanctified lives and be found worthy on the day of judgment. So he's going to connect that for us. Verse 2. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So does God judge people? That's, an, that's, a, that's a softball question. Does God judge people? Yes, absolutely yes. That's one of the key things God does. He is judge. Is he a good judge? Is he a perfect judge? Absolutely. So he judges. Not only does he judge rightly, he judges perfectly. So verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things. You see, he's being very clear here. That's the hypocrisy that's the problem. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? I think some people really do. They think they're so good at pointing out other people's sins that God is just going to overlook theirs. That's not how this works. Verse 4. Or do you show contempt? For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. How many people, Jews and Christians alike, sit in their holy assemblies and feel so good about themselves? Oh, they're sinners over there. They need to repent. They're, sin they're not even looking inwards. God, every day, he allows us sinners to wake up, have a new breath of air, have a new day of living. He, he sustains us. He is so kind to us. You know what forbearance is? That means he's putting up with us. God is forbearing with us throughout our, our sinful lives, and that is supposed to move us to repentance. And yet, how many people wake up and, oh, of course, God loves me. Of course, I have another day to live. They've learned to take God for granted. Not, their, their hearts have not turned to repent from sin. Their hearts have justified themselves in sin. And that's most people. Most people do not wake up thankful every day. Most people do not go through their lives giving God glory and thanks. Most people go through their lives complaining, feeling entitled, their hearts separate from the Lord, and they are rightly condemned. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
So we already said that God judges. Does he have wrath? Does God have wrath? What, what is wrath? Wrath is like angry, hateful, painful punishment, right? That's what I imagine when we're talking about wrath. I, uh, I don't think I told y'all this last week. The Greek word for wrath is orge, which is where we get the word orgy from. Isn't that weird? It's like an orgy is rejoicing in God's wrath. Like we're, we're all just going to be condemned and God's wrath is being poured out upon us. That's what an orgy is. So, uh, but, uh, but God's wrath is not just for people in orgies. It's for anybody and everybody outside of saving relationship with Christ Jesus. And once again, we covered, is God a perfect judge? Absolutely. So his wrath is being stored up for the day of God's wrath, the day of his judgment, and it will be poured out upon all those outside of Christ Jesus. Has God ever poured out the cup of his wrath before? He did. That's why we have the cross right here, the Christ event. When Christ was put up on that cross, he took our sins, and he who was innocent, who never sinned, took our sin upon him, and the cup of God's wrath was poured out upon him. That's why Jesus said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass. What cup is that? The cup of God's wrath. So Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you and I didn't have to. So when you and I appear at the judgment seat, God's wrath will not be poured out upon us, despite the fact that we have sinned, that we were born in sin, because we have been born again in Christ Jesus, and he took our punishment. But those outside of Christ Jesus will receive God's wrath because they are guilty of all this sin, because they have not led lives of repentance. They have lived lives of entitlement. God help us when we're like that. Verse 6. God will, this is a quote, you see this, will repay each person according to what they have done. You'll see on the, the note there, that's from Psalms and Proverbs. Everybody's going to be paid back according to what they have done. If you know the word justice, justice is giving people what they deserve. Punishing evildoers, rewarding people who do good. That's what it's saying. Justice will be done. God is a perfect judge. Verse 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. Is that good? Yeah. He will give eternal life. God rewards the just. Verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. For all of them or just some of them? For all of them. Anyone who's outside of Christ, anyone who pursues evil, who does evil, doesn't matter if they feel evil, doesn't matter if they have good intentions, God's wrath will be poured out upon them. Every single one. Verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So here he's beating up on the Jews. The Jews have been thinking that we're God's chosen people, we're his favorites, you Gentiles are lucky to be brought in at all. He's saying, nope, God doesn't show favorites. If you're doing wickedness, his wrath is going to be poured out upon you. If you're doing good, he will reward you. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. God doesn't show favoritism. He's going to talk about this more. We've covered a lot already. Any questions about anything we've covered or are we ready to go on? Okay, we'll go on. If you have a question, remember it. We'll, we'll bring it back up. Verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. What law is it? Is this talking about Roman law? Right. You're, it's talking about the Jewish law given in... The, the Hebrew Old Testament, especially the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are where Moses received the law from God and they're recorded on the tablets. 
the law also usually refers to other commandments God gave through the prophets and stuff in the Old Testament. So he's saying, if you know the law, if you've read the law, if you've been informed by the law, you're going to be judged by the law. Verse 13. Did, did I finish verse 12? And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. I think I did. Verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So it's not enough just to hear the words. It's enough to be conformed to them, to obey. We're going to incur, uh, encounter this obedience thing. I mean, it's all throughout the, the Bible, but especially in the coming verses. The importance is obedience, not listening. God doesn't care if you can quote a bunch of scripture to him when you get to the, the pearly gates. He cares that your life actually reflected those scriptures. Verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles do, who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now, this is where it gets weird. Because, okay, remember in chapter 1, he said, everyone is judged rightly by God, even if they haven't received the law, even if they haven't received the, the testimony of Moses, because all the creation testifies about God and who he is. Anyone, whether or not they know the Jewish tradition, God has revealed himself to them. They have not lived in the light of his love, and they rightfully deserve punishment, whether or not they're Jews, whether or not they've had the words read to them. So likewise, here it's saying that even pagans, people who did not know the Lord, the Lord was revealed in all of creation, and they can discern from the creation what is right and what's wrong, and they can do acts pleasing to God, whether or not they've read the Bible. That is an interesting thing to say, because Christians are very firm. There is no salvation without Christ, who is known only through the scriptures. So hypothetically, it's possible to please God without the scriptures. Is that what it's saying here? Let's read a little bit more. Verse 15. These pagans, they, they that do right without the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So here he's kind of shaming the Jews. He's saying, first off, you guys have the law and you still don't obey it. And secondly, there are a lot of people who don't have the law and they're still not living completely depraved lives. They're still loving their children. They're still denying themselves. They're still living in, in some semblance of righteousness because to a degree, God has implanted that on all of our hearts. Now, is that saying that people can be saved without God's holy scriptures or without Jesus? Absolutely not. He is not saying that. And so I came up with a silly metaphor in the Delaware service today. Let's imagine that uh, my daughter, Susanna, wants to get up on the roof of our house, which, by the way, she does. Does a good father let her get up on the roof of our house? No. Why? She would fall. She could fall. And if that little girl falls from that height, she could get severely hurt or die. So if my daughter's asking me, Daddy, can I get up on the house? I would say no. Now, but things change, though. She says, but Daddy, what if I could fly? Well... Susanna, yes, if you could fly, then sure, you can get up on the house because if you fell, you could just fly. Now, is my daughter ever going to learn to fly? Absolutely not. What we just did was entertain a hypothetical. Hypothetically, uh, pagans can do good works because God has testified in their hearts about what is right and wrong. However, they do not have the new hearts given by God. 
while we can hypothetically imagine them, people outside of Christ doing good works and pleasing to God, in actuality they cannot. To live a life good and pleasing to God without being born again is like telling my daughter to fly. It's not going to happen. The reason we follow Jesus is because he does a supernatural thing in us. When we forsake ourselves, we die to ourselves, when we're born again in Christ Jesus, we are radically, supernaturally changed from our innermost parts out so that we are finally able to do works good and pleasing to God and be righteous in his sight. You cannot do that without Jesus. You cannot do that without Jesus. And Paul is going to be very clear on that throughout this book. He's just making clear that everyone is rightly judged by the Lord because he has given us some good common sense and some consciences that tell us what's right and wrong. Everybody knows that they're sinners, whether or not they're Christian. But we have not been given the obedient, circumcised heart it's going to be talking about until we're in Christ Jesus. We're going to have other t more time to think through this, but I, I hope I've made this clear. Hypothetically, we're talking about people pleasing God outside of Jesus. In real life, it does not happen. It cannot happen. Okay, verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Okay, this should be all Jews. They have the law. They should be instructors. They should be mature in faith. He's saying, if that's you, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He's getting back to this hypocrisy thing. He's saying, if you're so smart, if you know God's law, if you know what it looks like to conform to God's, God's instructions, well, do you need someone to preach back at you? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, man, he's really hitting the Jews hard right now. He's saying, if you haven't perfectly obeyed the law, if you're judging people on account of things that you yourself have failed at, I remember in Idaho, people really hated the Mormons for this reason, because every now and again, there'd be an article in the paper about a, uh, a Mormon elder being caught in a casino or being caught with a, a, a lady he was cheating on his wife with or being caught drinking, you know. And the, the, the thing about that is not that it's, oh, it's, you know, pagans looking at that are not going to go, oh, that's so awful. They're going to say, you're making us feel guilty for all this stuff and you're doing it yourself. It scandalizes the whole thing. The Mormon church was regularly scandalized. Likewise, you don't have to be a Mormon to be a hypocrite, do you? How many preachers on an annual basis get exposed for being charlatans, sleeping around with women out of wedlock? It happens all the time. Stealing money from the church it happens all the time. I'm so glad we have so many people watching the budget here to make sure that I'm not stealing any money. I'm not saying I would. I'm saying we don't have to suspect me because there are so many pastors. We act like they're beyond reproach. And then they do exactly what they preach against. Hypocrisy is so built into the human heart. We need one another to judge one another. To look over one another. If you ever look at the, the icon we have for our church, on a, what do we call it? A logo. It says watching over one another in love around that circle. That's what Methodists did because they knew the human heart was evil and prone to deception. We deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, the bad people there, they look like that. I'm not like that at all. We, we don't. You know, how many people look at guys in jail 
go, man, those guys had so many chances, and oh, they just ruined it. Well, how many chances has God given you, and you're still screwing up? This is a way of being in the world that humans need. We need to be the most humble, the most self-effacing, the, the, the first ones to confess that we're not perfect yet and we're still wrestling. We should be the first ones, but Christians so often are known as the judgmental hypocrites, aren't we? And part of that's because the world just likes to hate us, but part of that's because we have a lot of hypocritical Christians in this country. A lot of people who think their faith is about them. Oh, God loves me. He likes everything that I do. He just hates those people like that over there. No, God hates my sin every bit as much as he hates someone else's. And the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. All right, so I told you we'd get to circumcision of the heart. Circumcision is a form of, uh, depending on who you talk to, benign male genital mutilation. Um, males are born with a natural foreskin over the genitals that is surgically removed. On the eighth day, Jews would, would cut off their young boys' uh, uh, foreskins. And that was a sign of being un, in covenant with the Hebrew God as revealed on Mount Sinai. Abraham was the first man uh, uh, circumcised. The patriarchs were as well. They fell away from it when they were living in Egypt. Whenever they were freed from slavery and bondage, they went to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law again, and they were brought under faithful covenant relationship. From then on, all Jewish males have been circumcised up till today. If you are a Jew, you have to be circumcised. If you're a male, you say you're a Jew, you're not circumcised. Most Jews will say you are not a Jew until you're circumcised. So circumcision is something that that Jewish people would take pride in. This is a mark. I'm in, I'm in God's chosen nation, his chosen people. I'm a Jew. I'm in right relationship with God. Here, it's, it, the evidence is on my body. You know. Here, Paul is saying, doesn't count for anything without obedience. Fine. If you're circumcised, fine. But if you're not obeying, then you might as well not be circumcised. It doesn't mean anything. Okay? It's like getting a tattoo from a gang and thinking that makes you a member of a gang. No, you're just a poser. That might have been a silly metaphor, sorry. Verse 26, so then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, so pagans, right, those are the ones who are not circumcised, if they keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The thing he's picking on here is obedience. Are you obeying God's laws or not? Are you obeying the conscience God has given you or not? Let's be clear on conscience real quick. Is your conscience always right? No, we're born broken and messed up. So we are given a conscience, and a lot of us do have, you know, we know it's wrong uh, to run over children in the middle of the road. Sorry, I mean, that's just something we all know is wrong, right? Even if the American law was against it, nobody would do that. We just know it's wrong to run over kids with your car. Sorry, that was grotesque. I should have come up with something a little less icky. Anyway, we all know that. That's a natural conscience thing that God has given us. Now, we get kind of hairy around some other stuff, but that's because we're broken. It's not because our conscience, God gave us bad consciences. All right, verse 27. The one who is not circumcised physically, pagans, and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and the circumcision, you are lawbreakers. So he's saying Jews who are still sinning, Gentiles who stopped sinning in Christ Jesus will be judging you. We're told in 1 Corinthians that we will help God in the judgment. We will be judging angels. Can you believe that? 
So it's kind of scandalous that everybody's convinced Christians that we're not supposed to judge. We are supposed to judge. God has appointed us to judge, to use right judgment. All right. Um, verse 28. This is the last paragraph of the chapter. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So here it's saying, well, let's come up with an example. There is such a thing as a distinctly American ideology. There were, there were certain beliefs that the American forefathers had about the role of limited government, the individual human rights that were made in God's image. He is, our, our creator has given us inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, equality under the law. These are all ideals that the American founders had. Now, let's imagine that here in America, we have a person who doesn't hold those ideals at all. They were born into this country, but they don't hold those ideals. Meanwhile, over in, let's say, uh, Liberia, central western Africa, you have someone who does believe we need limited government. Uh, we need equality under the law. We have inalienable rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What if I told you that they are a true American and we have a bunch of fake Americans in this country? Can we make sense of that sentiment? Even though the citizenship papers don't match it, we have this notion of identity. And an American, in the vein of early American thought, believes certain things that many Americans today, who are Americans on paper, don't believe. So one could say, this person in another country is more of an American than a lot of people here. And people would understand what I mean. And that's, and I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to make people angry, I'm just trying to provide a metaphor here. What Paul is doing is there are a lot of people whose papers are right, who have got a physical circumcision on their body, but they're not a Jew. They do not have obedient hearts to the Lord. They're hypocrites. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people who haven't been circumcised, but they love the Lord. They're obeying the Lord. They're true Jews. They haven't thought of themselves as Jews, but they are the true Jews. And you people who think you're Jews are actually just hypocrites, counterfeits you will not receive salvation. That's what he's saying. Would this offend a Jew to hear? This is so offensive. This is like telling an American that they're not an American, okay? They're going, what? I've been told all my life, this is who I am. And he's saying, yeah, you've been told wrong. Because the point is not to cut that skin off. The point is to be obedient towards God. He's focusing on that obedience. And he's saying, what matters, circumcision matters, but not of your genitals, it's of your heart that matters. Everybody's hearts are hardened toward the Lord. When your heart has been circumcised, you are open to the Lord, to his, his ministering to you. You will be changed by him. You will deny yourself and you will follow him. If that's you, then you're, you're a true Jew. And anyone who's circumcised, who cares if they're not obeying you, if they're a bunch of hypocrites judging other people and not judging themselves, they're not true Jews. They're not right with God. So Paul is going to continue to go through this letter, hammering different people who are proud for different reasons, and he's going to try and give humility so that they can all have the mind of Christ. Um, okay, we're 10 minutes over, so I'm not going to take questions. Man, it just keeps—we don't have enough time in the world. Let me just—okay, what I'm going to say is if there's stuff that's just confusing you or you need more time on, just talk to me after worship. 
because figuring this out, I've already told you, Romans is in many ways the backbone of the New Testament. You have to understand Romans. You can't choose just to be like, ah, that one doesn't matter. They all matter. Romans really matters. All the rest of the New Testament hangs on the doctrine we encounter here. So I'm going to urge you to go home, reread chapter 2, and then if you can, please read more of Romans so you start seeing how it all fits together. And then as we get together for the next few weeks, we're going to weave it all together more and more. And when this is over, you're going to feel like Romans is a book you understand, and your life reflects the truth of this book. But I think the thing to take home today is, if I'm feeling comfortable judging other people's sin, but I'm not looking at my own, then I really need to check myself. I think, I think, can we all agree that that's a good message to take home? Okay, go home, reflect on yourself. Who do you easily judge? And then what sins are you making room for in your life that you need to judge yourself and repent before it's too late? Okay, let's um, stand and sing our closing hymn, number 557, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. <laughs>